0: I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the March 12th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to describe challenges to vaccine distribution in clinical practice. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Christian Hermanson, Managing Physician at Family Medicine Downtown and Ambulatory Clinical Director at the LGHP Family Medicine Residency Program. I'd like to thank both of you for your time today. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you, Faith, and delighted to have Dr. Hermanson back uh, for a second program where we're going to still focus on vaccines, but uh, talk a little bit from the office-based perspectives um, as to how to facilitate Uh, care for um, their longitudinal patients and deal with questions. I think many of uh, my patients, I do still a bit of primary care, have looked to primary care offices as being that's where vaccines are given. Uh, But yet there are some uh, unique features with these vaccines and the fast moving pace and so on. So I I, I know you have some opinions about where these vaccines would be uh, best given. And Dr. Hermiston, why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience so far?
2: Yeah, so right now our experience has been that um, with a a varying schedule for providers, it's not as simple as we'll schedule you today for your vaccine and your office visit and then bring you back in four weeks for that same provider, because that provider may not be there. So for our residency program, that's been a little bit more of a challenge. Um, I mean, for the record, I think a, a family practice should be able to give vaccine. Um, But that has been difficult with an uh, unclear supply of what you're going to be getting. So, you know, and there is a 15 minute waiting period with this. We do have to schedule a second appointment coming forward. Um, We make sure there's no other contraindications due to getting the vaccine. So it's not as simple as jab and go. Um, especially when you're also working on controlling the person's A1C and their mental health and getting their colorectal cancer treating and then that kind of stuff. So if your sole focus is getting over the pandemic and getting as many shots as armed as possible, having it off-site from practices where you can drive up, get your shot, and then go, um, it's worked in many other locations. We're actually launching today at our local mall with a, one of the stores that's been vacated Um, one of the major department stores that's been vacated, um, having a mass vaccination site where thousands of vaccine will be given every week. And that's with 550,000 people within our county, that's how you get it done. It's not with 10 or 20 patients getting done Um, at a family practice. So, you know, I think that'll be something that we can replicate. We hope to have when the weather gets nicer, some fairgrounds that we have in the area, that we can get more people vaccinated. Um, And we have a a large Amish and Mennonite population within Lancaster County that um, may not be typically coming to practices. We need other venues besides practices to engage the thousands of patients, hundreds of thousands of patients within our uh, county to get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, you know, outreach efforts, uh, trying to find populations not normally engaged, very important uh, there. But, uh, you know, pharmacies, family practitioners, pediatricians, those I think most people look to for vaccines. Right. And perhaps in the near future nirvana of uh, uh, COVID vaccines, you might have two or three different vaccines in your practice. Perhaps this will happen. Uh, tell me a little bit uh, if, and maybe you've even just handled this with patient questions. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the different vaccines? Is it, do you, should we treat it like influenza? Look, you have the high dose, you have the regular dose. There's lots of different manufacturers, you're just getting what I have. Or is this something where you feel, given some of the differences, uh, which are, you know, considerable potentially. It, should there be more transparency? This also probably speaks to what's happening at mass vaccination sites because they may only have one supply, but do you tell people ahead of time what they're getting?
2: Well, we do tell people ahead of time what they're getting because that also impl- impacts when their follow-up would be. So right now, we have only have access at the practices for the Moderna vaccine, which has a 28-day gap between dose one and dose two. Um, some of the employees initially got Pfizer, um, which has a 21-day gap. We have not been given Johnson & Johnson to give, which is just a um, one-dose vaccine. If we, in a perfect world, had all these options at our disposal, I think it is only right to let the patient decide what they feel most comfortable getting. But I would make sure that I was clear that any vaccine is probably better than no vaccine. Um, So the efficacy for all of them is actually significantly higher than even the flu vaccine. So if we can get these shots in arms, I would be all for it. But I think I would have to let the patient make the choice of, would you want something that has you know, this two doses, but this is level of efficacy, this is how it's um, been made and and, um, produced by the company versus a one dose vaccine, which may have a little bit less efficacy, but still is way better than most other things we give and may be easier for you to deal with.
1: Yeah you know it's the kind of thing which when you're trying to do a lot of this stopping to have a 10 to 15 minute conversation you know and you're trying to do millions of immunizations is, is difficult it's it's definitely a challenge one of the more interesting things that have come up in the news is just with the janssen vaccine probably not something that has been used a lot yet we'll probably see more In future weeks, but um, a number of uh, archdioceses in the United States have suggested that the vaccine should not be used if you're a devout Catholic because it was developed through cells, which many decades ago was obtained from uh, fetal products and so on. Uh, You know, obviously, this is a personal choice. Um, People can decide one way or another. But um, uh, have you had to field those kind of questions? And what's your advice on this?
2: Yeah, I have had to field those questions. I can say sometimes in the office and even more so in my church, um, as one of the physicians there at our our church, as far as what people feel comfortable with. Um, And I feel like, again, all vaccines have great efficacy, um, but how they're made is slightly different. You know, I understand that there's some concern uh, spiritually with potentially use of fetal stem cells. You could also make the argument that with 550,000 people dying of coronavirus, a pro-life argument would also be to get the vaccine. But I don't think that's for me to say. I can give them the information. I can give them you know, how it's made and kind of what we understand from a medical standpoint and walk through at least some spiritual discussion with them. But that's an individual choice as far as taking the vaccine.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, I handled a, a similar question or two. Uh, typically, other vaccines, of course, don't employ those kind of cells uh, there, so it's not a worry, but, you know, this, a- again, have been cell culture lines that have been passed for so many generations that it, it's sort of standing on its own, but I, I understand the, 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 the argument that someone may make, and I think they have to come to their conclusion, but it's not as though they're harvesting fetal tissues to make the vaccine—that is not what's ongoing at all,
2: right? And I, you know, I'm not anyone's pastor, um, but you know, all these vaccines are still under emergency use authorization, so it certainly can't be mandated. And I think having an educated decision makes that person feel a little bit more comfortable with whatever they decide.
1: Yeah. Another I- issue that comes up frequently in terms of questions: a uh, uh, timing. Uh, you know, do. You, if you've had COVID um, or maybe you got a monoclonal antibody, for example, you know, do people really have to hurry to get the vaccine? Should they get one dose or two doses if they've had COVID? Um, uh, any kind of quick answers on those? Because I know those come up a lot in my practice.
2: Yeah, so I, for monoclonal antibodies, our guidelines is to not give it for at least three months. You yeah. do get some protection from that. There is some increasing evidence that the one dose um, may have some benefit in those situations too, but um, we're waiting three months. I was going through schedules for our 50 doctors each week and seeing, all right, you're on the schedule, you're you're eligible for 1A COVID criteria, but did you actually have COVID in the last three months? Because if you did, I was gonna, from a scarcity standpoint, give the vaccine to the next person in line. Now we're being told that we could probably just make sure that they're COVID recovered and then give the vaccine. And in some respects, I feel like if you caught Corona once, you know, you're in a situation where you could catch it again potentially. So we're um, now kind of retracting from that three-month wait for natural infection and just giving it as long as you're COVID recovered, but for the monoclonals waiting three months.
1: Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, there is some uh, growing data that suggests one one shot of the mRNA vaccines may be sufficient as a booster. I mean, Boosters, we typically just use one dose. We don't use a two-dose strategy. So I think we'll know much more about that down the road.
2: Yeah, and I think we're getting still some questions about, you know, am I going to need this again next year? How long is my immunity from the vaccine? We don't know yet, um, but we're continued to to learning about that as we continue to learn about this virus.
1: What's been the reception of the monoclonal antibodies? You know, they were sort of had only lukewarm. Um, uh, responses from guideline panels, mainly because they, I think, were preliminary information. Uh, but it seems like it can keep people out of the hospital. Is, is that something that you have patients asking for, or are your docs recommending it? Um, what's what? What do you sort of see happening now? You know, there are three products, but two combination products that are available, and and maybe they're not always available. You may not have much choice, just like the vaccine.
2: Right, so we, um, we do have people asking about the monoclonals um, both from a patient and a provi- uh, provider standpoint. Um, there was a lottery system for that that any positive case would potentially be engaged in getting um, the monoclonal antibody. We use the one um, that starts with BAM but I'm not gonna pretend that I can pronounce these uh, monoclonal antibodies well. So we give them in our urgent care because we have an hour long observation period for those. Um, and we have seen a significant decrease in hospitalization, at about a 10% decrease, and we have had no deaths in anybody who got the monoclonal antibody. Um, so that's been really reassuring. I think knowing that information, patients have been more interested in getting it as people get more familiar with its availability and its efficacy.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and, and it's you know it works as an antiviral in my view. So getting people in early. Uh, is where you have the greatest impact uh, before the disease gets galloping too far along. You know, there's always the logistics of trying to get an IV infusion. It sounds like it's great that your system has one that's right uh, incorporated into your practices and so on. Why don't we uh, take a view maybe to the fall or so on your family uh, practice office. I assume you do a lot of pediatric immunizations, school records, these sorts of things. Uh, there's probably no doubt COVID vaccines are coming uh, to your practice as part of a routine, at least this year. I don't think the disease is going away, and maybe it will change. There'll be variant vaccines, updated vaccines, and so on. Uh, Help understand a little bit um, where you feel uh, your office practice will probably be most useful come the fall. Is that going to be trying to get kids immunized, or do you think it's going to be still the mass vaccination sites, uh, what, what are your thoughts there?
2: You know, my hope is that um, this will be much less of a topic come fall because it's pretty much dominated both media coverage and my household's discussions for way too long. Um, but I, I think it's gonna be something that we transition not to probably eliminate, unfortunately, but just that we live with, kind of like we've lived with influenza and other kind of seasonal things. Although I can say, I have not seen any influenza this year at all so thank you very much <laughs> for whoever stopped that process. I, I think we're going to see once the data comes out that vaccines would be safe for, um, for the pediatric population, which we're still actually technically waiting on, then we may have a, a quick flurry of people who want the vaccine. We'll have some people who say, I'll never get the vaccine. And then we'll have some people who say, well, you know, when it's time for my well-child check, I'll get that done. Um, but we really haven't seen a ton of transmission in the school population because of social distance and wearing their masks, and I think kids actually are better than adults in wearing masks. So, um, you know, I think it'll be something that it'll be a topic that we talk about, but hopefully won't dominate the conversation because it's going to be relegated to something like flu or strep throat or those kind of things.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think we all hope this becomes a much less prominent measure, but I agree with you. I think this coronavirus is not going to disappear. It will be probably percolating to some degree and become one of the respiratory viruses, much like influenza, that can uh, cause serious illness. Last question is just once things do settle down, we have always spent a lot of time trying to educate people on the need for influenza immunization. That's generally in kids, right? I mean, you know, the emphasis is there because we think children spread influenza to the older adults and so on. This is probably going to be different. This is going to be probably more adult-driven where we really want to immunize the high-risk people there. Is this going to be something that's going to be uh, yet another educational aspect along with colon cancer screening, influenza? Do you think six months from now you'll be getting a flag on your system? Have you discussed coronavirus? Well, we already have
2: that flag in healthcare maintenance now, if you're part of 1A, so I'm used to seeing all these flags <laughs> in my patient charts, um, which I'm actually thankful for. It's easy for me to figure out if they need it or not. Right. I think you're going to have those conversations. Once we learn how long the initial vaccination period gives you antibody protection, then we can have that better conversation of, do you need a booster? or you know How often is it? Six months, one year, three years, however that may go. Um, you know, Again, I think it's just something that we're going to continue to talk about with people, because coronavirus and the business impact and the political impact and the personal impact that people have felt from coronavirus has impacted everyone not everyone wakes up in the morning remembering their their impact from colorectal cancer or from other diseases whereas you know everyone's been affected by corona so I think that's going to be a pertinent conversation for everyone going forward
1: yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more I mean it, it may fade over time but it's going to be raw so many, uh, uh, families and friends have been lost, uh, members and, or just had illness, and, and, and the post-COVID syndrome is something that I think will linger for a while, and avoiding that, I always say, is something to think about. Even if you're young and healthy, we don't quite understand that. Well, I really wanted to thank Dr. Hermanson for sharing your thoughts, um, during, uh, this, uh, I guess, relatively early phase of our vaccine experience. Uh, We'll certainly be learning more, getting more safety data and real-world experience uh, that hopefully can help make all of our jobs easier and convince people to take vaccines. So thanks again.
2: Thank you again for having me.
0: Fantastic. Thank you to both of you for your time today. Really appreciate it. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.